Well, thank you for being on the show, Jay. Oh, of course, Jesse. I'm so excited. This is awesome. Well, for those of you who don't know Jay, Jay was the only judge who voted for me <laughs> at Comic Wars. I was. <laughs> and you didn't remember my name I when we recorded, Jesse. <laughs> I know. No, it's That's okay. terrible. You knew I hosted a game show, which is good enough. Yeah, well, so how that, again, how that came out was Miranda, I, I told Miranda I kind of wanted maybe to go that route and like maybe oh, do yeah. game shows. And after our recording of the podcast, we were just talking and she said to look you up. So I followed you immediately and I looked at some of your clips and they're hilarious, dude. Nice, it's a man. cool little game show. Thanks, yeah. Yeah, it's been fun. We've been doing it for almost, uh, it's coming up on two years. It'll be two years this April. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Nice. And yeah. how's, how are you liking it so far? I mean, I've been thinking, I feel like we're in a really great spot because mm -hmm. it was, you know, the first, anytime you're developing a show, mm -hmm. it takes a while to really get the format right. dialed in to like 100%. 100%, yeah. And I think that we, in the past couple of months, we finally got to 100% with like, this is how the show operates. Mm. So now we're just doing everything we can to like grow the show um, taken out on the road a little bit more. We've got, uh, you know, the store is bringing us back in a couple weeks. Nice, dude. Um, Lyric Hyperion is bringing us in, so hopefully we can start doing, if not at least a monthly show here in L.A., if it may be, you know, two a month, it'd be cool. But yeah. we also have some road dates coming up uh, all in February. So it's, you know, I'm glad that we have everything figured out on the creative side, so now that we can just go like, all right, we know what we're doing, let's, Hit the repeat button. Exactly. Get this thing going even faster. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. That's really cool. Was this something that you always wanted to do? Kind of like do game shows and stuff like that? I think on like a subconscious level, yeah. Like I loved game shows and as a kid. I watched basically like the two show the two channels I watched a lot when I was in like middle school and high school were Comedy Central and Game Show Network. There you go. Um, Hell yeah. And I when I was in college, they had a game show on the on campus TV channel. So I hosted that my no kidding. sophomore through senior year. Where'd you go to college? I went to Elon University. Elon, okay. It's in North Carolina. It's okay. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Okay. Um, but yeah, I started doing that, and then I was you know, I was doing stand-up then as well. Um, and then, you know, when I came out here, I got to this point where, like, I had produced a bunch of stand-up shows, and I helped produce Roast Battle for a really long time. Okay. And I'd gotten to this point where, like, I was so busy with, uh, I write for TV also. I work in, like, nice. game shows, reality shows, competition shows, that kind of thing. So Very everything nice. is kind of, like, lining in that direction, right? Right. And I got to this point where I was, uh, I'd been asked to produce a show, um, and they were like, hey, do you want to do a roast show? And I was like, oh, there's already, a, you know, like, three or four roast shows in L.A. True. I don't know what I would bring new to the format, but let me think of, like, there's something I could do that would move the needle for me creatively, because I did also didn't want to just produce a stand-up show. Right. I produced enough of those. Yeah. I felt like I'd done the best version of a stand-up show I could ever do already. So I was like, let's do something different. And so then I just came up with this dumb game show idea that was like, let's do a game show that's like... We originally were calling it a fucked up game show. And obviously, like, that doesn't really... <laughs> it's yeah, hard to exactly. advertise yeah, exactly. that. Yeah. Um, but essentially, like, that's what I thought about. And I was like, all right, what's a game? Let's, like, a game show where it is difficult for the contestants. Gotcha. And the the fun comes in, like, building tension by asking the contestants crazy shit and then watching them be funny by working their way out of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's kind of, like, the genesis of the show. And then it's developed ever since then. We've been doing it, like I said, it's, like, almost it'll be two years. And it's crazy to think, like, 
it started literally like I was doing this class. Uh, I was taking this clown class with Zach Zucker. And, oh wow, dude! You ever have you ever seen Zach? I've never seen Zach. No, but oh. I, that's crazy that you went to clown school. That's oh, cool, dude. I mean, I was it's it's just classes here. And classes, there. right? It's just yeah, stuff in L.A. Uh huh. Um, all this uh, we can get into all this a little bit later, but mm-hmm. like. I literally, he was like, come in with an idea for your last day of class. It was like a three-day intensive. And I wrote down a bunch of ideas. And one of the things I wrote down was fucked up game show host. And I was like, I didn't wind up going that route, but I kept going back to that. Uh-huh. And I was like, there's something there. And so now I'm a fucked it's up game the, show yeah. host. <laughs> it's, it's co- I've come full circle. 19-year-old me would be so proud. There you go. Yeah. How did... Uh how did how do you think like good doing comedy class or clown classes helped you with your stand up? Um, I feel like, well, okay, so I got into clowning as in as just like an interest. So I did Edinburgh Fringe a few years ago, okay. twenty nineteen. Okay, um, and my whole background in comedy at that point was like mostly stand up. I'd done a little bit of improv. I'd done some. I'd taken some sketch classes, but mm-hmm. I was mostly stand up was my mode. Mm-hmm. And Fringe has a lot of stand up, but they also have a lot of really weird stuff. Right, a lot of clown shows, a lot of like really sort of esoteric and strange. I see one man shows. Stand not exactly stand up, but not not stand up. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and seeing all of those shows, I was like, there's this whole other thing that interests me comedically that I'm not tapping into that mm. I feel like I have inside me. Right. So the easiest way to, to try and access that was clown. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna, let me explore some clowning. Um, for me, what I find it does is I feel so much, uh, I feel much more like present on stage and also looser and not worried about like, if something is going wrong, mm-hmm. quote unquote, now I'm like, it, I'm still able to have a good time right. even in the bomb and like find a way to get out of it and mm-hmm. save it in a way that like I think I had a little bit of training with that by working at the store and mm, and now true. it's like all right now I feel like it's a it's the other side is like getting fleshed out more to where it's like the the people who I always admired the most at the comedy store were people like Brody Stevens one of my mm-hmm. one of my favorite mm-hmm. guys to watch when when uh, or, you know rest in peace Brody right, but right. like Brody was somebody who I think is like the epitome of what somebody who is engaging with the audience in the way that like a clown performer engages with the audience oh. as a stand up I see is yeah. what is possible with that and so I lo- you know I look at him and I look at other people who I really um you know like Fahim Anwar I really mm, always yeah. love watching him perform He's Rick great. Ingram yeah all these guys who can do this thing where it's like you're actually connecting with the audience in a different way. Right. Um, and you're still such a great stand-up and, and joke writer. But there's an element of, like, freedom to what they're doing on stage that I really uh, resonated with. That's amazing. I've actually never heard of, like, taking what you could, like, learn as a clown and on the stage. Because everyone talks about, obviously, improv is one a main thing, sketch, mm-hmm. and then one-man shows as well. But the whole clown thing, that's... Yeah. Interesting. Well, it may, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know what I mean? It make, it does make sense. Yeah. Well, especially, too, I think there's so many... Clown is, like, a thing that really is very popular in L.A. right now. And mm. it's uh, there's a lot of really bad clown shows. But there's also some really, like, good, entertaining stuff. Right. And I've taken... You know, I'm, in, I'm currently in classes um, with this group called Idiot Workshop. Okay. And they have really helped me out in terms of figuring out 
what else is in my comedy toolkit, like, mm-hmm. as a performer? What else can I tap into? Got you. What are things about, like, the way I move or the way I talk that I can use? Wow. And it's just, it's good to think about because then it feeds back into the main comedy outlet for me, which is stand-up. Right. So then I can think from this standpoint of, like, what has what is this perspective that I've never considered? Yeah. And how can I incorporate that now? That's really cool, dude. Yeah. I can respect that. Thanks. That's fucking awesome, dude. Yeah. It's weird to be doing all of this, like, I mean, I started taking clown classes back in 2021, so okay. I'd been 11 years into stand-up at that point. So it's really strange, like, at this stage of the game to be, like, doing this sort of... Not a re-examining of what I'm doing, but also just like trying to, I guess, get deeper, right? And and tap into something that I don't think I'd been tapping into. Uh-huh. And you felt like it's kind of maybe reinvigorated the comedy, yeah. In a sense, yeah, 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 yeah. Jesse, yeah. <laughs> I'm reinvigorated. There you go, dude. Yeah, it's um, it's great. It's yeah. a nice. It 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 has brought something out that I didn't know really needed to come out. From a from a performance standpoint, and that's the physicality of it. Not even just the physicality. There's something, there's something that um, they talk about a lot in the classes that I'm taking, where it's like not thinking about structure so much, but about like musicality uh-huh. um, um, and rhythm. I see. Um, and even before, like even long before I even did stand up, I was I, I was told I had good comic timing. Like I. The times I was funny was like because I said something at the right time, and right. it wasn't even yeah, me yeah. like trying to be funny. Exactly, yeah. I would just like say the thing, and everybody would be like cracking up. And right. like, what happened? Yeah, dude, right. Um, but now thinking about it, it's like timing and patience and rhythm and this sort of like that. That is something that I am really thinking about a lot more now than I than I think I ever have before. Wow, and, and it was because of the clown mm-hmm. classes. That's insane, yeah. dude. Yeah. Wow. It's nuts. That's wild, bro. It's crazy, dude. That's so crazy. I, I went into clown classes thinking I was like, I'm going to learn how to like flail around yeah. <laughs> and do all this like wacky stuff with my body. And it turns out not even close. There's a whole science and like psychology to it. Yeah. I think, I mean, everybody kind of gets what they, it, it, I think in any good class, you get what you're really looking for. True. Um, and I think what I was actually looking for was not how to be like a big crazy guy. Even though I thought I was like, that's what I should do mm-hmm. is be the big crazy guy. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. And now I'm trying to figure out like what that actually means. The subtleties of it. Yes. There you go, dude. Yeah. Um, I want to take it back to the game show real quick. Uh, what were like if someone like me, if I wanted to start like a game show comedy show, oh. what would be like in the first six months? What are some of the things that you could forewarn me about, like some of the failures and what to look out for? Okay. So a game show comedy show. Um, first of all. Uh, and I'm just going to speak from my own experience yeah, here because exactly, yeah. that's all I got, right? 100%. I think that it is very helpful to find a venue um, that you can safely fuck around at. Got you. Like, that's it. <laughs> got you. The, the, you know, and I saw this with Roast Battle, too. Like, I was literally at Roast Battle from maybe, like, the first six months. I, d- I wasn't there from the very, very beginning. I didn't see, like, Kenny and Josh battle. Okay. I wasn't seeing some of the very early battles. Mm-hmm. But I was around enough to know, like, it used to just be the thing that they did at the middle of the open mic. Mm. Like, it was an open mic until midnight, and then they did the roast battle. There was one battle at midnight, and then it went back to open mic until, like, one thirty in the morning. What the hell? Yeah. That's wild. Right. And see, that's <laughs> the thing. Nobody would have known. Yeah. 
But the show, because it was happening in the belly room at a time in the comedy store's history where, like, nobody nobody really was paying attention, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. From, like, a management perspective or even from, like, I a see. larger industry perspective. It was just the open mic that you would go to after you'd done whatever other shitty open mics you'd done the rest of the day. But it was at the store, and it was a good time. It was a good hang. Right. And also then this roast battle thing started. Right. But because there weren't eyes on it, it was allowed to develop into what it became because it was, you know, it was much more organic. Um, and I feel like one of the things that helped us out a lot was we started at this, uh, we started at the pack theater. Um, that was the place that initially had pitched me on like produce a show for us. Gotcha. And we were doing it there and it was, it was a totally fine venue for the show um, at the very beginning, like the first, I think five or six shows we did there. Mm-hmm. But then I was thinking like, all right, this show, you're not allowed to drink inside the theater. Mm. We need to do this at a place where people can drink. Yeah. Let's go find a bar. And somebody happened to tell me about a bar that he knew was looking for live entertainment. Okay. That also had some of the like technical stuff that we needed. Um, so we went there and, uh, this grace place, uh, the roguelike tavern in Burbank. And we'd been working out doing the show there, and they're like, "Come and do a trial run." Trial run were great, and he was like, "Cool, keep doing the show here as literally as long as you want." Mm-hmm. Um, we brought it there. We did it there for a while. We started doing it at Alamo Draft House downtown. We did it there for a while, and once we had gotten it to a point, like we did it one time at the Comedy Store, way back at the beginning, mm-hmm. and it was not right for the store at that time. Gotcha. Like, we still had too many kinks to work out mm. for it to be really ready and polished enough for the store. And then uh, just over, well, just under a year later, th- that first store show was, like, December 2022. The next show we did at the Comedy Store was October 2023. Okay. And by then, we'd figured out, this is what the format of the show actually is. Let's give it a whirl again. And I pushed, and I talked to the to the people at the store. I was like, Listen, tr- like, bring us back. Trust me. Yeah. And and it has been going well since then. I mean, yeah. We've done two shows there. They're bringing us back for another one. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding a place that will allow you to, like. Fail, basically. Fail, yeah, yeah. You need a place to fail. I mean, that's, you know, it, open mics are a place to fail yeah. for stand-up. Right. But you can't go, like, work out a game show bit. That's very true. Mic necessarily. Very true. So you need a place that will allow you to put up a show on its feet and fail a bunch of times so how, you can figure out the format. How long did it take you to kind of figure out those kinks and to get it to where it is now? It got truly, like, I think we got it to about 80% by a year in. Mm. Um, and then... Wow, and how many shows in a year? At that point, we had done, I think, maybe 12 shows. Oh, wow, so one Maybe a month. 14. We basically wow. did one a month. The last couple months we did... Dude. Two a month. Maybe we did, like, 16 shows. Mm-hmm. Um... And that got us to a point where it's like 80% of the way, this is, I feel really good about this. We're still kind of, you know, working out some kinks and tweaking some things here and there. Mm -hmm. And then to get to that 90%, it was an additional, like, six or seven shows. Wow. But we did those shows over the course of three months. Because we did did two in July. Um, We did, like, yeah, we did two in May, two in June, two in July. Two in August. We were supposed to be three in August, but I had COVID. Mm. Then we did three. No, we did two in September. We were supposed to do three, and then we got the store bookings. So we were like, all right, let's cancel our September show. 
that's at the end of the month so we can prep for the store show. Gotcha. And by the time we got to the store show, then we were like, all right, this is basically 95%. And 95%, I will take. Yeah, yeah. I don't need it to be, I think shooting to be 100% mm. is foolish because mm. there are going to be things that go awry. Interesting. And the the last 5%, I think, is in your flexibility as a performer and producer. And gotcha. figuring out how to bob and weave as you're dealing with whatever, you know, whatever weird shit Elements. happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay. So those are the th- that, that's, like, the main thing is, like, find a place where you can fail. And then also try and do something that's not, like, too um, high concept. Mm. If you can do simplify something, it. simplify it. Yeah. The the thing that I we really learned was there was a lot of stuff where we were going too long with a with a game. Mm-hmm. Like we had this one game uh, called Shave the Cat. That's a game that we do on the show. <laughs> it's very fun. You know, Save the Cat, the yeah, screen yeah, yeah, book. Yeah. Okay, so the game is Shave the Cat, where you where instead of like writing a movie, you take a movie and you fuck it up. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, it's a fun game. Yeah, yeah. And the first time we ever did the game, the whole premise, uh, we started out with, it was a two-round game. First round was everybody's going to get a movie that they have to ruin in 15 Mm -hmm. seconds. And then the end is you have to take uh, one movie that shouldn't have a sequel and give it a sequel, (laughs) right? Which is, like, fun on its own. Right. But we did it. And we ran the game, and the game didn't go bad. It was a, it was fun, but when we were watching the back the tape later, we were like, "Oh, this game is too long. We don't need both of these segments." Huh. So now, when we do the show, the times we've done the game since then, we've only done that first section. Oh wow! Because okay. we've because we've learned we don't need to do the hat on the hat. We don't have to have the extra thing. Got you. Because the first part's just as funny anyway. Got you. And. It's one of those things that, like, I I go, you know, in, in stand-up, I think, the mm-hmm. way that, my like, my process is, and I'm not sure what your process is like, but, like, I, I, I think this comes from Roast Battle a little bit, too, where, like, I tend to overwrite everything, mm-hmm. and then I have to add, edit and scale back. Yeah. And it's important to remember that just because it's not officially, like, a script in a game show, there is still editing to the format you need to do and dialing back oh, and less is more. Right, right, yeah. Um, which, hey, I mean, you got you to gotta learn by doing. Exactly. Trial and error. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you were obviously a roast battle legend of some sorts, dude. <laughs> Fucking Jeff Ross even said that you're one of the best roasters in L.A. He did. Uh, you said something that was really interesting to me. You said doing roast battle helps you tap into your true comedic voice. Um, how did it do that for you? How it did that for me? Well, I didn't know that I could write uh, mean jokes. Yeah, and and tap into this like darker sensibility. Um, I'd always liked roasts. I'd always, you know, the ones that I'd seen when I was in like high school and college, mm-hmm. I really loved. Um, roast battle, as as Pat said on uh, a couple episodes ago, it's a scary thing. Yeah. Um, and I was too scared to do it for a while, even though I was there, like, hanging out. I was, you know, helping live stream it and and doing the, the, the sets beforehand. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I guess maybe I should try this thing out. And I turned out to be pretty good at writing roast jokes. Right. Um, which, to me, all that said was, this is an indication that you have this sensibility that you can tap into that's, like, 
darker, meaner joke writing right. that you can find a way to incorporate into your regular act um, because it's there. So why not make use of it? Right. Because you had some, I, I saw your uh, roast battle reel. Oh, you watched yeah, the reel. Dude, hilarious. Oh, yeah. the, the, uh, the sentient, what is it? The sentient string cheese. Oh, you yeah. sentient, yeah, you sentient piece of string, string cheese. cheese. Yeah, that shit was hilarious. You <laughs> human undercooked French fry. Um, hilarious, yeah. dude. So that was something when you first started, you didn't think you would do roast battling and stuff like that? That was no. something you were afraid of? Mm-mm. I mean, it didn't, when I first started, Roast, I mean, roast battle wasn't even a thing when I was when I was really very very beginning in stand up. I started in North Carolina. The stand up scene out there was a pretty like your average like small town stand up scene mm-hmm. where it's like a couple showcases, a couple really weird open mics that have audience come to them. Right. Occasionally, there's like a random show that will pop up. Because a fraternity all of a sudden wants to have a stand-up show at their Mm -hmm. house. So it's like, all right, let's get a a handful of comedians to come do the show. Um, Roast battling wasn't a thing until the roast battle at the comedy store did it. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, doing that wasn't something that was even on my radar as, like, a concept. Mm -hmm. And then because I had this image of myself as, like, Oh, well, I'm just like a nice guy. I just, I don't know if I'll right. be able to pull this off, which it turned out was a limiting thing to think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm glad I actually gave it a shot and tried it out. Yeah, because you have a pretty cool resume, dude, writing resume. You've done a whole a few roast battles, right? Or like the Comedy Central roast battles. Yeah, I wrote I wrote for a couple different of the of the main roasts. Um, I wasn't in the writers' room. I was doing some like on the side writing, gotcha. some ghost writing. Okay. Um, but I always got jokes on the air. Nice, dude. Um, which was cool. Um, what was I, your favorite joke that w- went on air? Oh, um, it was probably, I think, for the Rob Lowe roast. Mm-hmm. Um, this joke, uh, Rob, the, the, the version of it was not exactly the way I pitched. This is, I'm going to try and remember the way that the performer actually did it. Okay. Um, Rob, you're, uh, you look like you're carved from marble. You put the statue in statutory rape. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that was one of my. That was, that was when I wrote that one, and I was like, "Well, we're we're going edge here, but let's yeah. go for it." Yeah. And then it made it into the into the final cut of the show, and I was like, "Oh, thank God." That's Look wild, that. dude. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I was on a couple seasons of Roast Battle. Um, I helped write for the third season, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I was helping out. I was in. Uh, I was working on historical roast. I was a writer's assistant for that. I got oh, wow. a few jokes on the air for that. Um, That's sick. Yeah, and then I have done a bunch of you know like as a random like game shows and reality shows. Right. Ever since then. That's hella sick, dude. Um, I want to ask you a question about going back to Comic Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the criteria that judges look for in obviously like a. a uh, like a, a a good roast, a good ro- from a good roaster, basically, because you obviously voted for me, so you know what a good roaster is like. Everybody, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, I mean, I think all a lot of it comes down to taste. Um, I what I'm looking for in a roast battle, I want a joke that is uh, succinct. I think economy of words is is the most important in roast battle, more so than any other like kind of comedy. Hundred um, percent. If you're gonna do a joke that is overtly structured where you have multiple punchlines, make sure that they all hit, make sure you're actually saying the funniest thing last, mm. which is 
something that I see a lot of roast battlers fail to do. Like they'll write a joke that is clearly structured to have like two or three little punchlines in it, mm-hmm. but the first one will be the funniest one. And then this other two or the other one after that will just kind of flop. Wow. And it's a bad look. Yeah. Um, I am not somebody who is against like you having your notes or your phone, but don't be like fully in your phone yeah, or your notes. 100%. Be somewhat present. Like use it like a playbook, but don't be fully like reading off of it. Yeah. Um, and also if you're really good at being like in the moment too and, and coming up with stuff, mm. like I can tell when somebody has a planned rebuttal. Everybody writes yeah. planned rebuttals. Yeah. It's part of the yeah, game now. Exactly, yeah. Because um, you know you have to do it. Right. But if you can come up with, like, truly being in the moment and say something that I can tell is off the cuff, then that's going to go a long way. That makes sense, though. Yeah. That makes sense. That shows a, tr- a true battler mm-hmm. is someone who can think off the cuff. Yeah. Um, how did uh, – what's it called? Like, you you talk about how you get into kind of self-deprecation mm-hmm. a little bit in your in your acts. Uh would roast battle help you get into that kind of yeah realm? Yeah, I think especially you know a white guy in roast battle with no real discerning features is is a, a hard That's target true. to hit. Yeah, but the jokes that I've heard said about me are incredible jokes because right. that really it's like you're picking apart the smallest thing. Like I can't. It, it's easy to make jokes about like a Pat Barker or Keith Carey. Because they're uh, fat, yeah. right? So you can do <laughs> yeah. fat jokes all day, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you're uh, Filipino, right? People can make Asian jokes about you all day. Right. It doesn't matter if the Filipino jokes or if the Asian jokes are not accurate to like being strictly Filipino. Mm-hmm. They're gonna say True. they're yeah. gonna say you eat dogs. They're yeah. gonna say some shit about <laughs> you know like you you know memoirs of a geisha ass dude or some something that's like good. that. That's good. I've never right? heard of that. Actually, that's pretty fucking so, good. I like go, that. Right? Yeah. Um, but I feel like that's the thing that like. It's easy to get away with the low-hanging fruit against somebody who is a little bit more obvious of mm-hmm. the well you can dig mm-hmm. into. With me, it's not as obvious. So obviously, you know, now I've heard the the thing that keeps coming up with just your basic-looking white guy is like rapist, pedophile, yeah. sec- anything in the sexual assault yeah. vein. Like they're gonna hit me with racist. Yes, yeah. racist, of <laughs> yeah. course. Um, glasses. They're gonna say some like Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> shit, which of course, yeah, that makes sense. I literally still get texted about, hey, did you see this guy on Netflix who you look like? Every it's, That's hilarious. But I have that shit in my act, too. Oh, okay, right? okay. So, like, because I, I know you're going to think it, because I've heard so many people think it. So I'm like, okay, well, I have to be the first person to say it. Ah, if interesting. Because if I say it, I know that you're thinking it. But So as long as I can say it in a creative way with being self-deprecating... Then that's, uh, then that the half the work is done. Right. As long as I can get to that point, then the audience is like, "Oh my God, he knows too." Yeah. <laughs> wow. I see. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting, dude. Like my opener for years was I um, I suffer from camp counselor face, and then I would just hold it. I would sit there like this, and people would just eat it up. For like, I remember there would be times I would do that joke, and I would get no shit like. 20 or 30 seconds of laughter. Damn, dude. Because I could just sit in it. But that's the thing that's like, if you come out the gate with something that, like, it's specific. out of left field, but it's specific, 
and you look at it and you hear it and you're like, oh my God, it makes sense, then you're gold. That's amazing. And you and you you open with that. I used to. Mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't opened with it. It was on my album, so I've I've retired that joke gotcha. since then. Yeah. Um I'm also not in a position now where I like like to open up exactly with like a looks like joke. I've mm. got plenty of them peppered in throughout my act now. Yeah, right. Um, but I feel for me, I like the challenge more of not opening with I look like such and such thing. Yeah. Okay. What are some of the uh, I guess advices to look at when you open up uh, when like I would open up because I feel like lately it, I, I've been kind of struggling with opening up even like taking something from what a comic said before me, I feel like I'm just struggling with it. I don't know what it is. Maybe my energy, I'm like thinking too much about it. I don't know. I mean, obviously you've never seen it, but it's just well, something. Well, tell me, okay, describe to me what your average Jesse Tugas performance looks like. Describe to you? Yeah, like when you're starting out, like how, what kind of comic do you see yourself as? Uh, how do you, how do you mean? Like just physicality, like the way I look? Well, the way you look, the way you sound. Yeah. Do you feel... Like, I what feel like kind some, of energy do you give off? Yeah, I feel like I, I, the energy isn't as energetic as a, when I tell a couple jokes. Like, okay. I have it's like a slow start. Like, when I gotta tell like m- maybe two jokes and then I start get the ball rolling. Okay. And maybe it could be a structural thing. Like, maybe I gotta move a joke, you know, to the beginning yeah, that maybe. I think hits. I also I, I will say this. This is a question because mm-hmm. based on your roast performance mm-hmm. from from Comic Wars, okay, you had this uh, this confidence mm-hmm. that. I am curious if you feel like you have that in your stand-up. I think so. I think it comes off. I think it – I'm very, like, uh, still very self-conscious about if the first thing I say doesn't get a laugh, then my confidence feels like it's going to go out the window. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's more so of, like, a mental thing. Sure. Like, if the first thing I say doesn't get a laugh that I expect, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, what do I do now? Okay. Like, how do I get them on my side now? Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, an easy – the easy cheat – for that uh-huh. is doing a, a look I like look like yeah, joke. Okay. Doing self starting out self deprecating is tried and true, baby. Yeah. It is long tested. Comics have been doing that for decades. Okay. For generations, Jesse. <laughs> okay. Um, and so if you want to go down that well, go for it. Yeah. Um, but it will also help if you're doing something that like is Again, like with the camp concert thing, it's so specific mm-hmm. that it's you're the one who thought of it. Right, right. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, that's, what, again, what makes the greatest jokes is if only you can say that, mm-hmm. right? Like what I've been told. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you have an album out. I do. Yeah. Yeah. You what, just one recorded? Just one. Okay. I'm working on, um, I want to get another one recorded this year. I'm working on the exact specifics of where and when that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. How long are you going to, do you record for? Your um, my first album, so it was a little bit, uh, it was sort of an experimental album a little bit. Okay. So we had like 45 minutes of stand up on there, but there was also a roast battle and okay. there was a couple sketches. And did you do the roast battle? I did. You did. And I battled uh, Nicole Buchanan. And then I wrote, okay. the, I wrote the sketches, but I had other people come in and do the voices. That's interesting. Yeah. How'd it go? It was great. Yeah. I mean, I feel really, as far as a, as a debut album goes, I feel really good about how it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good calling card because it's not like – there's not a lot of albums out there like that. Right. Like, I'm very confident in hearing this album. It's like, it's the kind of album that I would have wanted to hear when I was first starting. Got you. Like, okay. One of the albums, um, you ever listen to Bill Hicks? 
No, I haven't. Okay. No. One of the albums that I listened to a lot when I was first, not even really doing a lot of stand-up, but for, were like really, really interested in it, mm -hmm. um, was Rant in E Minor by Bill Hicks. Okay. Which is this album. It came out posthumously, and it is pieced together from a few different performances. Mm -hmm. um, but also there's all these like sort of weird jazz interludes throughout it. Oh, okay. And so it's like <laughs> okay. it builds this sort of uh, picture and this sort of like vibe mm -hmm. that I haven't really – there's not a lot of stand-up albums out there that do that. Right. Um, and so I was like, okay, what – the thing I liked about – Rant in E minor was that it sort of created this atmosphere. So, like, what can I do to create an atmosphere? I see. And so, the producer I worked with is this guy, uh, Coach T, who used to be the DJ at Roast Battle. Okay. He's produced a couple other stand up albums. Nice. And so, I was like, let's, how can we make a vibe out of this? And, and, uh, so we talked it out a lot. Mm -hmm. And the final product, I feel, captures that in okay. a way that, uh, that I'm very proud of. Right. When did it come out? Came out in uh, August of 2020. It was right okay. around my oh, wow. okay. in, in the middle of the pandemic. Damn. Yeah, that's pretty. That's probably a good time though to release that, right? Like yeah. no one's really was doing anything. No one was really doing anything. But the other downside was that I couldn't go out and tour really in mm. support of the album. If I mm. uh, if I had known that there was going to be a pandemic that lasted, yeah. you know. That locked us down for like six to eight months. Yeah, probably would have said, "Hey, maybe we can push the album a little <laughs> yeah. bit." Um, but it's you know, I'm glad it was out there. I'm glad it, it, that people are still finding it and still listening to it. Um, it still get it still gets airplay, which I'm happy about. There you go. And I stand by all the jokes on that album. Yeah, I had such a great time crafting that album and putting it together. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great. I'll have to check that out, dude. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Where can I find it? Just wherever. Okay. Um, you can go, you know, wherever you, you know, Spotify or okay. uh, Apple Music, wherever you stream. Um, my YouTube channel, I've got it fully on there. Um, if you want to get a hard copy, you can uh, talk to me. I've got some I've got some CDs and stuff, but okay. this is it's everywhere. You know, it's everywhere. Yeah. If you have if you have a way to listen to music, you can listen to it. Okay, fair enough. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, so you don't run any of those jokes then from that 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 album anymore. Mm, there might be one that's still in my act, but I feel like I just found a way to actually get rid of that one joke. Um, so I feel like I actually might be at a position where it's like fully divested. Hmm. Um, Would you re retell a joke a different way? Like one of those jokes a different way to make it new or I have so it's uh I feel like there's some themes that keep coming up on the album that like continue mm. to come up in my yeah, act now. Right, right. Where it's like growing up in Texas. Got you. Um being sober, looking like this. These are themes that keep coming up in my well, act. Well, it's not a bad thing because Gervais does it a lot too. Like he, yeah. he, he I mean, I'm I'm just doing it him. I'm sure a lot of other comics do it, but it seems like with Gervais, it's always just like when he moves from, t it's just topic to topic, right? Mm -hmm. It's just always, I mean, I don't know, fat people and then trans people and then, you know, other, but it's always just, he tells a different joke about that topic. Right. So, I'm, I'm, yeah, so it's interesting how this is happening with you as well. Yeah, and it's not necessarily like I'm doing the 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 things that I'm covering are not the same exactly, like once I dial into the jokes, because right. obviously the whole premise of the first album was like it covered 
it's like a calling card, right? It covered my whole life, Got basically, you. up okay. to the point where I was like doing that act. Yeah, like a resume, almost like a life, your life story resume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like there's shit on there that was about from my childhood, man. So it's like now I feel like I'm much more interested in talking about what's going on with me currently. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I have a background. Of course, the stuff that's in my background is going to like keep coming up. Yeah, of as course. a theme right, in my act. Right. Um, so as long as I can keep finding new ways to comment on it, then that's then I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you had a religious background or an upbringing. I did. Right. What what religion? Uh, I was uh, sort of a couple different kinds of Christianity. Okay. Um, I grew up. I was baptized as a Presbyterian. Um, I went to a Methodist church for a long time. Um, we dipped into Catholicism for a little bit. My mom grew up Catholic. She was uh, gotcha, from yeah. New Orleans. There's a lot of Catholics yeah. down there. Mm-hmm. I grew um, up Catholic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's a lot. I mean, it's uh, we only really dabbled in it. My family, so I have family in New Orleans. When Katrina happened, a couple of them came and moved in with us okay. in, uh, in Texas uh-huh. while they were getting all of their affairs sorted out and rebuilding and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did a little bit of like going to the Catholic church because it's what my grandma and my cousins were used to. Right. Um, right. But yeah, so then, but all of that kind of fell away like by the time I was like a junior, senior in high school. I was mm. like, I'm I'm over this. Yeah. Was it just you or your whole family? Was, I mean, I'm the only one. I'm not sure about my sister. Um, I don't think my sister is particularly religious. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not what I would consider religious at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I have through like 12 step program and recovery work. I have an idea of like a spirituality mm-hmm. that I hold. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. but it is not I, what I would consider anywhere close to like the Christianity that I grew up with. Got you. Um, so my parents are still, I say it's same act. They're like cultural Christians, but they do mm-hmm. like, They'll go to church every now and again, and they'll hang out, and they'll, you know, they they do Bible studies and stuff sometimes. Right, right. Um, But they're also not, like, when I was growing up, we were going to church, like, multiple times a week, really, like, digging in, like, do youth group, do, we're going to go to the Wednesday night church dinner. We're going to hang out mostly with people from church. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I know what that's like. It was, it's a a (laughs) lot. It's a lot, dude. Yeah. Um, And then, but but I think a lot of it started from, like, being busy that I stopped going to church as much. Right, I see. Okay. And then I also was hanging out with kids at my high school who were, like, not religious. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, you don't have to? This is fun. Wow. (laughs) This sounds great. Yeah. You, uh... Let's talk about. Do you mind talking about sobriety real quick? Sure. How long you been sober? Uh, a little more than eight years. Oh wow. Yeah. What was kind of like the event that wanted you to go sober? <laughs> the 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 big thing. Um, I mean, I'd had this sort of. So I got sober in 2015. Okay. Um, the last time I had a drink was September 10th, 2015, and I had to that point. There had been this like. The whole summer, I had been getting drunk. It felt like kind of every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at the comedy store as a door guy at the time. It was in like my first year being a door guy. It's very easy to drink on the job at the yeah. comedy store. Yeah. Um, and I was like, start. I blacked out a lot when I drank, <laughs> and I started to black out. Like there were times when I would black out while I was on the clock. Oh shit! Yeah, and Damn. I would find out about it after the fact. They were like, "Yeah, you threw this guy out last night," and I was like, "What? I don't remember doing this at all." Oh, They're like, "Yeah, you literally like shoved a guy into the street <laughs> oh, off the patio." And I was like, "Oh shit! I'm, I had no idea." 
Um, and then I started to like go through, like I would black out and then I would like wake up in like a crazy situation. Like I remember there was one time that summer I was in New York. I was going to go to a wedding, but I was in the city for a few days beforehand. Mm -hmm. And I was hanging out with some friends of mine. I blacked out. And then I came to out of the blackout several hours later, just running down the street in like the financial district. What the fuck? Yeah. Dude? My phone was dying. I had like 5% battery. I didn't have uh, any money in my wallet. Damn, I didn't know dude. what to do. Uh, and so, but that was like scary. Yeah. But my friends were just like, wow. Cause they didn't know it was. I was like feeling bad and embarrassed and mm. ashamed of all this stuff. Mm. They're just like, wow, Jay, you wacky guy. <laughs> cool. And I was like, is this wacky and cool or is this bad? Um, and that happened a few more times that summer. Uh, there was one time I, I was, uh, I was working at the store. Um, I was supposed to go in for work and I was out day drinking with a bunch of people. And there was this girl who I had a crush on who we were like, Finally, it was finally starting to happen, and mm -hmm. we went out, and I was like, well, let's go back to my place. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I have to work. So I drove to the, the comedy store. Fucked up. To, fucked up. To try and get somebody to, like, cover my shift. And I parked, and I got somebody to cover my shift. I think it might have been it might have been Frank Castillo, because Frank, okay, yeah. me and Frank were boys. We were, we were a door guy. We got hired at the same time. Nice. We lived together at the time. And I was like, buddy, I got this. We got it. It's finally happening with Alex. Can we make it, please? And he's like, okay, I got you. And then I tried to That's back out. That's the homie, dude. Dude, That's he's the, the homie. homie. But I was at, parked in the lot at the store, and I backed my car, and I bumped into um, Adam Ray's car. No yeah. way, dude. Now, there, were, there was no damage to either of our cars. If Adam ever hears this, this is the first. Sorry, Adam. I'm sorry that I rear-ended your car. Um, but he, there, was no, there was no scratch on either of our cars. Good news. You can we can talk. We'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> but even I was. But Frank was like, "Dude, you gotta go. You gotta like call, call an Uber or something. I'm not gonna let you drive like yeah. this." And that was a moment where I was like, "Huh, this is bad." And then my last actual drink, I drank on Labor Day. I'd come off of like a weekend bender, and I was like, "Okay, I have to work tonight. I'm not gonna drink today." Mm -hmm. And I didn't not drink that day. And I showed up to work pretty fucked up. Oh my god! It was potluck. Dude. It was Monday. I had, um, I got there and I was feeling sick and I had somebody, another door guy, like cover my shift. I went and did my spot. I got a drink. I clocked out and then I got another drink and then I went home and then I had a, a tall boy PBR in our fridge. Damn, dude. I popped the cap and then I was like, oh, this is, I don't need this. And then that was my last time I got drunk. No shit, yeah. dude. My last actual drink was like two days after that, but that was, that was the last time I ever got drunk. How I was old like, are you? Too much. Twenty five. Damn, I just dude. Just turned twenty five. That's wild, yeah. man. Good for you though. Thanks, that man. takes a lot of willpower, especially at that age, twenty five, bro. Dude, I mean, it was like, it was the thing where I found out that I have addicts and alcoholics in my family, so mm. it makes sense that it was like it skipped a generation. My neither of my parents are alcoholics; they can drink normally. I see. Um, but it got me. Yeah. And it's good to recognize that because that means, well, now that I know, and now that I know it, it, it is bad, mm -hmm. then like, I'm going to do everything I can to not go down that road again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're completely sober. No weed, nothing. Nothing. 
Good for you. Yeah. I'm struggling with weed right now. I'm trying to oh, stop yeah? weed. Yeah. I, I, I had like a bad, I'm weird with like drinking. Like I'll go on like a bender for like a couple years and then I'll stop for like three or four and okay. then I'll go do it again. And recently I've stopped. Okay. Like I just had to get off of it. just fucking being dumb again. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I just can't put the weed down, dude. I don't know what it is. Interesting. What is the thing that like, how do you feel when you get high? How do I feel when I get high? Yeah, like, what is the thing that is leading you to be like, oh, this is different, I should stop? Uh, like, I, wh what is the thing leading me to want to stop? Yeah. Uh, basically, I think it's just, obviously, stand-up has a lot to do with it, right? Like, okay. getting stoned before a mic is not a good thing, even before shows, anything, just mm. doing that. And then, like, now it's just, like, I'll do it, and, like, I feel like I'm getting lazy where I'm not writing now. So it's okay. affecting that as uh, well yeah. you know what i mean yeah um i do it just because i feel like it isn't like an anxiety thing like if i don't do it i, I feel anxious and it helps me calm down but i a couple months ago i had stopped completely for like almost a month and that was like the most productive i was and then i fucking just started doing it again okay yeah so well you know here's the thing so like that anxiety i think is probably also from the anxiety of performing true right right, right so yeah. like the anxiety of going up and putting yourself out there, like I felt that for mm -hmm, sure. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how much that I was using like substances substances to mask that. Right. Until the first time I ever performed when I wasn't drunk. Oh, wow. Because then I was like, oh, there's something. Like it felt like I was literally behind a, yeah. a wall. But you still kept drinking though, right? After you did it sober, after that first set where you did it sober, no, no. You, oh, you, oh, no, I like see. Okay, first so set, I see. like truly sober, right? Got you. I'm not like you know. I would go on stage. I'd have like a shot before I would go on stage. Got I would you. be like fucked up, but right. I would have like something feeling loose. Yeah, yeah. But the first time that ever went up where there was nothing in my system, like fully sober, I was like, oh wow, I'm not. This this is scary. Right. It's like I'm not really here. So then I had to figure out how to actually hone in on that. Right. And use and, it and break past that. Right. Yeah. Because I think that the anxiety, to me, anxiety when I go on stage now is not necessarily about. It's not. I don't. I don't feel like scared or nervous. Mm -hmm. I'm more just like the feeling in my body that I get. I know is anticipation. Mm, like I still right. feel the like, I feel a little activated, like, you know, maybe something's going on in my guts. Mm. I feel like maybe like I'm a little tense or something, but it's like, it's because you know you're about to go on stage. Right. So that's right. why, like you don't have anything to be scared of. Mm -hmm. So it only took me, I had to work past all of that to get, to get comfortable again. Right. Damn, but, dude. you know, you're in a place where, you, uh, it sounds like you're uncomfortable. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a totally, I think, valid thing to like try and smoke to get, to take the edge mm -hmm. off. But also it's good to be aware of the fact that like you're still feeling the anxiety even though you're smoking. Yeah. I don't smoke before shows. But. Uh, but I do smoke a few hours before the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but still. Yeah. Like you feel the way it affects you. Right. After the fact. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe I need therapy. Maybe. I've been coming to that conclusion lately. I think that's what I need to do. Oh, I'm, everybody yeah. needs therapy, yeah. dude. Do everybody feel, should get some therapy. Is uh, AA, do you still go to AA meetings? I do. You do? Do you feel like that's some form of therapy? Is that like... Yeah, it's therapeutic. Yeah. It's therapeutic. cathartic. Okay. Um, I'm not... That's not the only... I work a couple other 12-step programs, um, but the I've always enjoyed a recovery-based meeting, a 12-step meeting, because it's A, it's free... Okay. But also, it's a great place to, 
not only share what you're feeling, but you can also hear what other people are going through and and commiserate and, mm-hmm. and identify and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, hey, I also went through this or right. I am currently going through what you're going through. Right. Let's go talk about it and have a, a cup of coffee together. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. When it's you can the, connect with someone like that. It's the connection. Yeah. yeah. It's there's something that I, I remember there's like a TED talk guy, I forget who, but he said that um the opposite of addiction is connection. Because addiction is a very isolating thing. Wow. It is really something that like to me, when I was at my at my bottom, right, I was alone. You know? Like I was literally whether I was literally like blacked out running through the streets yeah. of New York City <laughs> or if I was feeling alone and I was just like nobody understands what I'm going through to the point where like my friends when I said I was an alcoholic and was sobering up they were like what? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Because I was just keeping all of that shit for me. Damn, dude. So this the second you start talking about it and can and connecting with other people that is what really will like that's what will help you out yeah. in the long run. Maybe that is my problem. I think I'm maybe just trying to figure out myself because it's it maybe a cultural thing as an Asian, you know what I mean? Just yeah, maybe. trying to keep everything closed off, like not being so like the communication thing. Don't talk about it. Just fucking figure it out yourself, kid. You know what? I mean, that's a that's a white person thing too. <laughs> is it? Like a okay. suburban middle class white yeah, person that's true. thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, everything gets swept under the rug. We didn't talk about shit, dude. Not, not the dude. <laughs> I had like I said, I have addicts and alcoholics in my family. I didn't find out about that until I literally stumbled upon it and I discovered like letters that were written to family members or people no after way. I had sobered up where they were like, yeah, you know, uncle so-and-so is an alcoholic. And I was like, why is nobody saying any of this to me? <laughs> like, this feels like it would be good information to have <laughs> yeah. as a child yeah, or as somebody who's like at least a young adult where yeah. I'm like going to college and they're like, Hey, maybe you should like <laughs> think about the way you drink. So that way you don't become an alcoholic <laughs> yeah. and like open up whatever alcoholic gene you have. But that's the thing, like all of that, all of, I I think this is a thing that's like common with comics too, Mm -hmm. is because I, 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 when I first started out, I had this idea of like what com what standup is, Mm -hmm. is you're doing it by yourself. And so that means you're in competition with everybody else around you and you have to beat everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be the best. Right. Right. Because that's the only way you're going to advance. Um, and when I first started, literally, I would go to, like, an open mic in North Carolina. There's this place, um, Jack Spratt Cafe okay. in Chapel Hill. I don't know if it even exists anymore, but it was, like, one of the main open mics when I was first starting out. And I would go, and I would literally, like, there would be other comics there hanging out, and I would not talk to any of them. I would sit as far back as I could, and I would have my little notebook, and I would be, like, even if I wasn't actually doing anything, I would just like sit with my face in my book, like maybe even like pretending to write or pick out what jokes I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And guys would come up and try and talk to me, and I would be so standoffish yeah, and rude to them yeah. <laughs> until they left. And I was like, "Yeah, I, sh- I fucking showed those guys. Yeah, they're not going to. They're, they're going to remember I'm me. I'm a real comedian." Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually, like, I fa- I figured out I had to get over that. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like it happened in North Carolina where there's some guy who basically like browbeat me into friendship, but then I was like, oh, this is nice to actually like hang out with right, comics. Yeah. Like he, you know, he he started inviting me to shows and stuff. We did these, we had so many terrible shows together, me and this guy Alexander, and we were like, but it was nice because we we're like hanging out with the other comics. Right. And some of those, you know, I still see some of those guys whenever I go back to North Carolina nice. and I'm like, hey man, which I would not have cultivated those relationships at all if I had just been the guy who's like locked in. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved to L.A., same deal, right? Like, I had one of my best friends who I started comedy with. We both moved out here at roughly the same time, uh, but then he stopped doing comedy. Mm. And I, or one of, part of our thing, we would go to Potluck every Monday together. So I was like, all right, well, if he's not going to Potluck, he's going through something, I should be with him and help him out. Um, but then I was like, I still feel like I need to go to Potluck. Yeah. So I was like, hey, man, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Potluck. And then I had to figure it out. And oh, I see. It went from being like Frank is the only person I know at the store, so I'm going to talk to Frank. If I don't see Frank, I'm just going to ha- I'm just going to hang out yeah. and like yeah. sit in this discomfort, right? And eventually like find my way into a conversation. Mm-hmm. But then like figuring out how to connect with people. Dude, Jesse, this is how lame I was. I literally looked up like WikiHow articles <laughs> of how to have a conversation with somebody. That's not, no, not at all. It's not embarrassing at all, dude. Dude, I was so fucking nervous. I literally looked up like, how do you carry on a conversation with somebody? Because <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and I had to figure it out because that's like stand-up is it's a community. It is, dude. It really is. You don't really think about it too much when you're first starting out, I think, is a community. And there are times when it doesn't feel like it's a community, mm-hmm. but you have to find people to do the shit with. Absolutely, dude. It's just because it's not overtly like you're on a team like you are with like an improv team or sketch team or something Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you're not in this together. Right, the trenches. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all in the fucking trenches. Yeah, dude. And it's crazy to see like, you know, whenever somebody, like we've had, you know, in whatever it was, December, November, we had three comics pass away Mm. that I know of. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's the moment where it is like, oh yeah, we are, we're in the fucking trenches. Yeah. We need to like come together. We need to come together. We need to like, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, maybe a week ago and, and we were saying like, you know, comics, I think because we come from this place of like guardedness and isolation, Mm -hmm. um, we tend to not say right how much we actually care about the people who we are friends with. Mm. And so we both were like, hey, I really care about you, and I care about your well-being, and I'm glad that we're friends. And it was nice to, like, just say that. Yeah. Um, Because there's not a lot of moments for sincerity in comedy. Most of when you're hanging out, (laughs) you're, like, ripping on each other or shitting on the room or whatever. You're like, this fucking heckler, this audience, this lady's so drunk, we got to get her out of here. Right. There's not a lot of chances where you're like, hey, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Hey, congratulations. (laughs) Hey, I'm really happy for you. Hey, thank you. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that is something that, like, I have learned to do a little bit more of that. And even though I'm not perfect at it, I at least try, which is enough. Yeah. Did, uh, last night I had a show in, like, uh, at Cal State LA, and okay. it was a homie who put it up there. It was, like, a charity event for the baseball team. It was in a theater. It was pretty cool. Okay, nice. But um, that was, like, one of the first times where it was a killer lineup, but all of us, like, we knew each other, and just having that experience with each other dude because it was like a lot of me it was me and like maybe two others the first time in a theater and we were just like fuck this is like dope that we get to do it together and like we're just having fun time so Mm -hmm. like the whole community thing like that was the first time where i was just able to kind of just bask in it like dude this is dope like this is fucking dope what we're doing yeah and again like six months in seven months in you know what i mean something like that and 
I don't know. It's just I appreciated that. It's a nice thing to feel. Yeah. And I think you got to. And so supportive, dude. Everyone yeah. was so supportive of each other. Like we, all our energies fed off each other like, every time we went up there. It was great. You got to cherish that shit, dude. Dude, I, I really did. That was Good. a fucking great experience, bro. That's Seriously, what I love about yeah. that's what I love about Roast Battle too. Roast right, Battle yeah. is a, it's a great community. Yeah. I used to be very heavily involved. I'm not as heavily involved as I used to be. I still mm-hmm. go by and host and I'll do judging every now and again. Okay. Um but it's still like it's a community. Yeah. And I still love the vibe of the show and the people who right. are around it. Yeah, dude. Um and I think you know there's this thing that like I get caught up in sometimes where it's like I I think this is this is not unique to me, but other comics' success mm-hmm. sometimes will get on my nerves, mm-hmm. right? And I'll see mm-hmm. somebody getting something. I'm like, why didn't I get that thing? Right? Why didn't I even get this opportunity? Mm-hmm. And the more I find myself sitting in that, that's when I go, oh, I need to go like be a part of stuff, because every time I do something in and I'm taking it from the like arm's length of like, wow, I can't believe they did this thing. How, what an affront to me. That just means that I am trying to distance myself. Right. And I'm trying to isolate. Yeah. Yeah. And so whatever I can do that is – there's a thing we say in, in 12 Steps stuff about contrary action. So to me, the contrary action of that is like, all right, maybe close your phone. Maybe don't look at social media. Okay, the thing yeah. that's pissing you off. Yeah. Maybe go to a show to support a friend tonight even though you don't have a spot. Maybe gotcha. go do an open mic and fuck around and, and not worry about if this is super polished or good. Because it'll be good to see your friends. Oh, that's an interesting way to fucking look at everything in life, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so you, you feel like you're taking the steps now to kind of just go out there and, like, n- be more embracive of the community? Yeah. 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 I feel like I, I – obviously, when I'm working a writing job, it's much more difficult to do that because right. my schedule gets real wacky. Yeah. Um, so right now, I'm fortunate. I don't have a writing job um, so I can do whatever I want. And so that means if I don't have a spot – I am going to go maybe see a friend's show, see a show that's like seems interesting to me mm-hmm. or just go hang out at open mics and, and try and, you know, tell some jokes. Yeah. Or even crazy idea. Go hang out with non-comic friends of mine sometimes. Like yeah. I had to go. Ha- I had a game night. I went and played games with friends like my fiance and some of our friends yeah. this week. Didn't have to do. Didn't have to go tell jokes. <laughs> yeah, like you, you know what? We're going to play rummy cube and we're going to drink sparkling water. And we're going to have a great time. There you go. And it was nice. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't done that in a while, actually. Just going out with regular friends. I've oh, yeah. done that in a very long time. It's hard. Especially well, especially when you're early in stand-up too. Mm-hmm. You shun regular friends because you're in the you're in the trenches. Yeah. You're like, I'm on the grind. I gotta get up as much as I can. Yep. Which I do think there is a value to getting up a lot when you're first starting out. Like when I was in like my first open micro shows. Both. both, both, okay. Both. Any opportunity yeah. to get stage time, especially mm-hmm. where you're at, you said right. six, seven months in, yeah. you got to take it. Yeah. You can't really afford to be discerning. Yeah. Unless something seems like actively dangerous, yeah. then I would take the shot. Yeah. Like, go for it. Okay. Um, there's a whole thing where I misconstrued it, but everyone was like, don't put your name in the improv or like the the uh, set of the night until like you're a year in. And Pat Barker... <clears throat> was like, hey, do you want to do, like, a set before, like, the roast battle one of these days? And I, because I heard that, I was like, no, I think I'll wait. And then I told my girlfriend, she's like, what are you doing? Mm. And then I was, I hit up Pat again. I was like, yo, like, is that offer still on the table? <laughs> Good. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you took him up on yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. February 13th. Good. My first time at the store. So but that'd be cool. It's All that really matters is that, like, 
for those things, sure, you want to put a good first impression out. Right. So, like, if you're going to go to the improv or the Laugh Factory or the store mm -hmm. and you're going to try and do one of their mics, yeah. then make sure you just have you're putting your best foot forward. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're putting out your best three to five minutes. Right. And that's something that, like, I still got to do, too, right? Like, I literally, the spot, I'm, I'm doing a spot of the improv tonight. Uh -huh. The spot I got, this is my first time ever getting booked at the improv, officially, not on a, not on somebody else's show, by the Rita. Improv. No kidding. By the improv. Your first time? Are you serious? Mm -hmm. And I did the spot. And I've been doing the mic there for a long time, and then I was, you know, going waves of, like, I could go regularly, I couldn't go. Rita knows who I am. Rita knows I'm funny. Yeah. You know, they put me, they gave me, like, the development stuff before COVID, and then, obviously, since COVID, I was doing a lot more writing work, mm -hmm. so I wasn't, like, going back. But I went and I did a set, and I was like, okay, if I'm going to get pulled today, then I need to make sure that I'm bringing, like, a great three minutes that Rita has not seen. Mm. Um, so I did that, and I got pulled, and then I, I had a fantastic set and i literally while i was walking back to my seat got a text that was like hey do you want to do this show are you serious dude? yeah damn bro but that's, that's wild you got to show up like being being a hundred percent of wherever you're at at any given time that's the other thing that i've learned is like all right maybe i'm not feeling great but i still have to show up with all of it got you no matter how i'm actually feeling so yeah. like if i'm only at 75 percent if I've got something that I'm doing, I better show up with 100% of that 75% on stage. Mm, I see. Okay. I'll say some, okay. I see what you mean. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, dude. That's fucking crazy that this is your first show at the improv, dude. That's wild, bro. Yeah. It's I'm excited. Yeah, I'm absolutely. I'm very excited what time for, is it? for the chance. It's at 7.30 tonight. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. Congrats on that. Thanks. I think that's a great way to end the pod, dude. Sure. Yeah, dude. Well, let's let the people know where they can find you, Jay. Um, you can find me at Diet J on all the socials and uh, at Wrong Game Show is the game show. If you want to follow that, we post clips. Um, we post show dates. We've got stuff coming up, um, like I said, in L.A., on the 12th, San Diego the 17th, Atlanta the 22nd, all of February. So Damn. go follow at Wrong Game Show. You'll get all the info. That's amazing, dude. Well, thank you again, Jay. I appreciate it. And Thanks, thank you Jesse. for voting for me at Comic Course again, lastly, dude. Listen, I said I got taste, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching. Until next time, bye. Bye.